Thanks, Jamie. Was there a pop just then? What was that? Something popped. Do not be alarmed. No idea what it is, but don't be alarmed. So this is the weekend of the journey. It's very interesting because uh, back in October, almost two months ago, God suddenly said something to me. And um, I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. But he, gave, he said this to me. He, he, he told me exactly what I want to share with you this morning. And he gave me this title, The God Who Joins Us in Our Journey. Now, I knew nothing of Darren's title. In fact, nobody knew, I don't think. It was a great secret back in October. And uh, when I shared with Jamie that I had this word and we just put it aside for the time being to fit in with his series, and then when we fixed this date, I don't think either of us, no, he's not even said that's right, neither of us sort of saw the connection. It was only when we looked at, when I looked at the die, I thought, this is extraordinary. God is clearly saying something to us about our journey, so I want to talk about that this morning. When I say God spoke to me, you might, I just need to explain that, because it's easy to stand up here and say these things. How does that work? Did you hear a voice? Well, no, on this occasion, I didn't hear a voice, but I had a thought that came at random into my head, an inspiration, if you like, that was just as clear as if I had heard a voice. In fairness, there was a linkage. Sylvia and I have been sitting, talking about journeys and people, life being a journey. And uh, I took a break from that, and suddenly God just said, and gave me this title, The God Who Joins Us in Our Journey. Now, I've got a picture for you. It's not a very good picture to see, but we'll put it up. I don't know how much of this you can make out. Clearly you can see that there's a railway line and there's a station. Can you see what it says on the station? It actually says Bidford on Avon. (laughs) And the reason it's not a very good picture is because it's a very old station, a very old picture, and and the station, of course, has long since gone. But I didn't mock this up. This is a genuine picture of the Bidford-on-Avon railway station, which was opened in 1879 under the auspices of the Evesham, Redditch and Stratford-upon-Avon Junction Railway. That just trips off your tongue, doesn't it? So that prior to the development of rural bus services, this station served daily commuters to Stratford-upon-Avon, Evesham and Redditch. And apparently on Stratford's annual mop fare day, as many as 300 extra passengers would be carried on the 6.15pm special train at a, a fare of, well, in modern uh, currency, 3p return. <laughs> 6.5d, but 3p return. What you might, which is really interesting, I'll come back on the subject in a minute, this is really interesting because uh, there was a siding, you can't see it here, and well, you might just on the right-hand side, but the siding was there for the plum harvest because during the plum harvest there would be, apparently from here and from Binton, there would be 20 wagons a day of plums being taken from here all over the country. Bidford even had a thriving business dispatching large quantities of hay, would you believe, to the Railway Provinder Company at Manchester, with each wagon taking 100 trusses each. There's a flashback, isn't it? The station closed to passengers in 1949 and closed completely in 1960. Why did I even bother to mention that? Do you know where the station was? Almost here. Just across the other side of Waterloo Road. 
and almost certainly that single track ran through here, or maybe just to that side of that wall. Can't be absolutely precise. Now, I'm not saying that's a prophetic statement, but actually I found that really exciting because I thought about people taking a journey that starts from here. That's why I mention it. Well, we're going to uh, read some verses in Luke 24. They'll come up on the screen there. And Luke 24 is a very interesting uh, chapter. It's the last chapter in Luke, <clears throat> and it starts at the, what we normally call the Easter morning, but the Sunday morning when the stories began to circulate that Jesus might yet have risen from the dead. And it ends with Jesus blessing his disciples and being taken up into heaven. It starts in confusion and sadness, disappointment, all sorts of uh, different emotions you can imagine, but it finishes up with them being in the temple daily, rejoicing and praising God, being filled with joy. We're going to read uh, Luke 24, 13 to 34. There's only 53 verses in the whole chapter, and 22 verses are given over to this story. This is the New Living Translation. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to, the, to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and that they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were back on their way to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. And I want to center what I want to say around that, those verses. But before I do, I want to talk about life being a journey. Because life is a journey. I'm not sure when we become 
aware of that. When we're small children, uh, we're very blissfully unaware that there's this journey. But as we get older, we begin to reflect back and we give our stories, we give our testimonies, we talk about what happened in our family homes and what's happened and what we're doing and so on. And when you get really old like me, you have a long journey to look back on. And the more you look back, the more you realise the journey you've come has been quite a complicated journey. It's, it's been twists and turns and ups and downs. But it is a journey. The interesting thing is it's a journey that you can never go back on. You're only ever going forward. I can't go back ten years. I'd like to. You can't go back, can you? And you certainly can't rewrite history. How many times would we like to do that? To be able to go back and change, perhaps, or tweak our journey in some way. And here we are, very near the end of 2013, and we look back and reflect back over the years. I don't know whether you exchange letters with people at Christmas, but people send their letters and they, you catch up with what's been happening for them in their families and in their lives over the last 12 months. The interesting thing is that every journey is unique, because every one of you is unique. Not surprising, therefore, that your journey is unique. There may be some similarities. We may have family similarities. There may be inherited characteristics, and we recognize that you know, the, the way things have happened for one person in our family is similar to us. But we're very different and unique. You may travel very closely and intimately with somebody over a long period of time. Sylvia and I have been traveling together on the same basic journey for 50 years now. We've only been married 46, but we were going out five years before that. So for 50 years, our lives have a lot of shared experience. But they're not exactly the same, because we're not exactly the same. There are parts of the journey that Sylvia relates to me that I've completely forgotten. I have no clue. And there are bits of the journey, probably, that she doesn't remember either. But our perspectives will be different. See, because we're different personalities, we have different vulnerabilities, we have different strengths and weaknesses, different struggles, different physical struggles, different emotional struggles. Every one of us, you see, is unique. And so here we are on a journey through life which is uniquely us. But we're not made to travel in isolation. Human beings were never designed by God to travel in isolation. You can see that right back at the beginning, can't you? You can see how it was in Genesis 2 verse 18, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. There's a picture up here. It's not a very clear picture. I think it's taken in New York. I'm not sure quite how many people I can count on that pavement it's a picture from 2005, so it's according to the stuff I had, so it's not actually right up to date. But in, as best I can see it at home, there are four people on mobile phones, speaking on mobile phones, and one person texting in that picture. It's about a third of the people are communicating with somebody else as they're walking along. And God made us to be like that. And if you think about it, the Bible from cover to cover is the story of shared journeys. It's the journey of God's people, it's the journey of individuals, it's the journey of families. It's all about not being on our own. Jesus himself 
chose 12 special friends. Of course, he had hundreds, if not thousands, on occasions of followers. But there were 12 that he chose that travelled with him. We journey together, don't we, with people in our families. We journey in our workplace. We actually journey together, too, in church. And so I want to ask you this question. Who do you journey with? It's actually quite a difficult question. Who do you journey with? It's one of those questions where you feel if you were at a conference, you'd go now break down into groups of two and three and discuss, wouldn't you? Because it sets you thinking, well, who do I actually journey with? I don't want a spiritual answer to that. I'm talking about human beings. Who do we journey with? How do we practically journey in a church of this sort of size with each other? Because you can't have 100 or 200 friends. Well, you can, but it's difficult to keep up with them. We probably don't all know each other's names as we sit here this morning. You don't need that many, do you? I'm not sure how many real friends that you need. But for sure, we do all need some smaller group of friends. Now, I wrestle with this a bit, to be honest with you, for this church, because we are a big church and becoming bigger. But we need to have smaller groups of us. Jamie's talked about this. It's no great secret. People say to me, small groups don't work. They do if you want to make them work, and you need to. My personal experience is there's stuff I will never share with you from here or share with you on a Sunday morning in the thrust of coffee, but I will share with the small group that I'm in. There are things I tell that small group that I tell them in confidence about me because I need to because we're all vulnerable. Now, many of you have small groups, but can I just encourage you to think about this? Think about who it is you want to travel with. There's some fantastic groups in this church like Good Companions that help the people who find themselves travelling, through no fault of their own, travelling on their own. We want to be able to help you to do that. And if you want to live a life of isolation, I would suggest to you that isn't actually how you're made. It isn't just what God wants, not actually how you're made. We all need to relate, to be able to relate to other people. We we recently went back to where we used to live seven and a half years ago. We moved to Stratford. Prior to that, we were living just uh, on the Norfolk-Suffolk border. And we went back for some friends who had a golden wedding anniversary. And we decided, well, actually... I'm not sure we really did. I was going to say we decided to stay at a Premier Inn in Ipswich. The truth is, nobody invited us to stay with them. (laughs) That's the truth of it. I saw this as overruled, of course. No, um, they were were very sorry about that afterwards. But actually, we wanted to do that because we said, we can go back and visit the places that we want to, just the two of us, that meant something to us. And so we stopped off on our journey at Bury St Edmunds and went into a shop that we knew to get lunch. And who did we bang into but our neighbours from three doors down, whose lives we had travelled with for uh, 13 years, right back from the beginning. And he used to look after our house when we were away doing ministry trips. Yeah, it was just like, how on earth could you just suddenly be here at this moment? And we went on, and for the whole time, we went to Ipswich, we went to Norwich, everywhere we went, we ran into people that we knew. Some who we'd probably not seen for a very long time. And I felt God say to me, you see, 
you've travelled with those people. I found it so helpful, and they travel with me. And we travel together sometimes for a period, don't we? We've not always been here, clearly. We won't always be here. But we travel for a period together, don't we? And in that journey together, we share life in a way that actually benefits us, but also benefits other people. This is a little quotation of Nelson Mandela, uh, much talked about in the last few days, but it has a slight resonance with what we're talking about. This is one of his uh, statements you might have heard. I've walked that long road to freedom. I've tried not to falter. I've made missteps along the way. But I have discovered the secret that after climbing a great hill, one finds only that there are many more hills to climb. I have taken a moment here to rest, to steal a view of the glorious vista that surrounds me, to look back on the distance I have come. But I can rest only for a moment, for with freedom comes responsibilities, and I dare not linger, for my long walk is not ended. Well, his long walk is now ended, but ours isn't. And there is resonance, isn't there, in that, that actually we're on this long journey. We haven't yet finished. One day we will go, pass from this life into, if you're a believer, into the presence of God. And for these two people to get back to our story in Luke 24, it was a very, very difficult time. There's a picture here that I rather like that sort of sums up my feeling about how it must have been for them these two individuals walking together. And there's a lovely description that I found online that I'm going to read to you because it's better than how I could put it. Prior to his arrest, Jesus travelled up and down the strip of land once ruled by David and Solomon, inviting the people of Israel to become a part of his kingdom, promising abundant life. His followers fully expected that he would become their king and that Israel would again be prosperous and free. He was their Messiah, but on one fateful Friday afternoon, as the sun fell behind the horizon, the Son of God hung cold and lifeless on a Roman cross just outside the city walls. As the sun rose on Sunday morning and the Passover feast came to an end, two of Jesus' followers, disillusioned and resolving to leave their foolish dreams in Jerusalem, left for home. The dejected pair began the seven-mile walk to Emmaus, even as rumours of resurrection circulated among the ranks of Jesus' disciples. I want you to try this morning and enter into what it must have been like for them as they made that journey. It says it was seven miles. They find it difficult to find a place called Emmaus that's seven miles uh, from Jerusalem. There is a place called Emmaus that's nearer 20 miles from Jerusalem. It doesn't really matter. There's speculation about who they were. We know one of them was Cleopas. Some people think he was with his brother. Some people even think it might have been Luke on the journey because of the detail that only Luke records about this journey. But many of the uh, old artists, going back hundreds of years, in the painting they painted of this uh, description had a man and a woman. It could have been a man and a woman. It didn't necessarily have to be two men. But whatever it was they were in a really difficult place as they walked that day. And I want to draw just four points out this morning from this story. And the first one is this, that Jesus unexpectedly joined them on their journey. 
Somewhere along the way, Jesus joined them and began to walk with them. Clearly, they weren't expecting him. They weren't actually expecting anyone. They were just the two of them on their own. He would have been the very last person they would have expected to turn up. I don't know, but they might well have thought to themselves, even if they didn't ask each other, where did he come from? It says Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. And if you look in this this chapter, you find that this is a suddenly appearing, and later on there's another sudden appearing, and there's a sudden disappearing, which we read about. And it seems like after the resurrection, Jesus' Jesus' body physically was different. I don't know, he's God. He was also man. But there was something liberating about his death and resurrection that he started appearing and disappearing. And it may be that he just suddenly appeared on this journey. What was he doing walking away from Jerusalem? We don't know. Did he already know all about them and what they were talking about? The lesson here is this, that I suspect that Jesus is with us well before we sense his presence. Just think about that. He came unexpectedly. Maybe you have had experiences in your life, in your journey, when you have had a revelation of Jesus. There was somebody who used to be a part of this church but hasn't been for some time now, and he told me his story about how he became a Christian. He was an officer in the RAF, he was moving around, he was stationed in Germany at the time. A few things had happened in his life, but he didn't know Jesus. And then one night in his room, he woke up and he said, I saw Jesus standing at the end of the bed. And it somewhat changed his life, as you might imagine. Right? Now, not all of us have, are blessed with that experience, but maybe you've had an experience like that. There was a lady talking about her experience on Songs of Praise two, three, four weeks ago, She talked about how she took her dog for a walk every day and she went up a particular hill and sat on a seat and uh, on this particular and she'd just been diagnosed with cancer she was very fearful about her future and on this particular day when she went to go to the seat there was somebody a woman already sat on the seat and so she thought oh well perhaps I won't go and sit on the seat but the dog of course was used to going to that point and resting up so they had to go and sit on the seat and they had a conversation They didn't say very much. And then this woman turned to her, using her name, and said, let's say it was Margaret, I can't remember, it's going to be all right, Margaret, and got up and left. This lady got up with her dog and began to walk the other way and then turned to see where she'd gone, and she disappeared. That lady said that was the moment that she had encountered God because she'd met with somebody who unexpectedly... I know somebody who talked about walking on a beach in a particular time and somebody joined them in exactly the same way and then left them when they turned around, they had gone. Maybe it's not quite like an angelic visitation or a Jesus visitation. Perhaps it's just somebody else who comes across your path, I don't know whether you've had this experience, and you suddenly realise that 
they've been sent by God. Have you had that experience? You might have had that. That's more common, probably, than the other things I'm talking about. I remember very well, back in 1990, we had been going through the worst time of our life. The details of that don't matter. Uh, and two American ladies came to stay with us overnight. The reason they came was that for some time before that, We'd had a young lady who was in our church who had a breakdown while she was at university. It was in Reading. We'd taken her in and we'd seen God restore her back. She had a South African background, but her parents had gone to live in America. And it was the contact with America sent these two American ladies. No Americans here this morning, are there? Good, okay. Um, uh, how do I put this? Two loud self-opinionated American ladies was not what I just wanted at that time. Okay. See, they, they were on a journey themselves. They were going to Eastern Europe. It was the time of the fall of the Iron Curtain and all these countries were opening up. And these two American ladies sat on a sofa in our lounge and began to tell us all that we needed to know about the solutions for Eastern Europe, as only Americans can. And, um, you know, it's like, I really could do without this. And, and the level of noise and all the rest of it. And then suddenly, they started to talk about something else. And I sat there rooted to my chair and I thought, God has sent them to me, to us. I can't tell you what they said to us now, but they brought God's message to us. They knew nothing of the situation. Can I just encourage you to expect the unexpected. <laughs> you don't go searching for this stuff. It happens. But it only happens on our journey as we allow it to happen, as we will see. You see, they were no longer walking on their own. They had Jesus with them. The second point is that they failed... He had now joined them, but they failed, of course, to recognise him. The Bible passage I read said that Jesus, uh, God had closed their eyes, and it may just be that that was a miraculous thing. But, you know, it's not surprising that they wouldn't have recognised him. I mean, it strikes me that there were a few obvious things about this. I mean, he was exactly the last person they would have expected to join and walk with them. I mean, the best they knew, he was hanging on a cross, and his body had been taken down, and he'd been put in a tomb. They didn't perhaps have much expectation that he would rise again and here he would join them, of all people, on their journey. I also get the feeling that, you know, as they trudged along, they had their heads down. I don't know whether you've tried walking anywhere, actually, but particularly on a rough pathway and <coughs> try looking around. You can't, can you? Because you walk looking at your feet, watching where you're putting your feet. I mean, even if you walk down the pavement and forget to look, you'll trip over the curb. So actually, you look down, don't you? I don't think that the first thing they did was to look in his face. I don't even know that they travelled that closely with Jesus. They probably weren't, unless one of them was Luke. They weren't part of the twelve. They probably never sat close to him. Maybe they just, maybe he looked different. I don't know, but they didn't recognise him. And there they were debating. And they were almost, Cleopas was almost rude, wasn't he? He said, how can you not know all this? I mean, everybody in Jerusalem knows what's happened. How can you not know? I can't make their thinking sense of what has happened. <laughs> Have you ever said that? 
I can't make sense of what is happening. It was getting towards the end of the day. Maybe the light wasn't that good. Maybe as they walked, I don't know. But they didn't recognize him. See, here is the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, walking with them, and they didn't recognize him. Is that possible for us? Is it possible that Jesus, who joins us in our journey, we don't recognize him? See, if we are so introverted, if we are constantly downcast, disillusioned, depressed, disappointed, we don't even lift our eyes from ourselves. Perhaps he's there, and we don't even see him. Are we failing to recognize the one who is walking right beside us? But then the third of the four points is this, that Jesus didn't reveal himself. Why did he not just say, oh, gosh, look, it's me. I am alive. Why didn't he? He didn't. It would have been entirely reasonable and logical for him to do that. Instead, he says to them, you are foolish and unbelieving, which is not exactly what anybody would like to hear said to them, is it? If I pop up to you later over coffee and go, you are foolish, you are unbelieving, you probably won't talk to me for a few weeks or hit me or something. Jesus never minced his words, did he? But he said to them, oh, you foolish, you fools. Where's your faith? And then he starts to expound all the scriptures and talks about, as we read about, the writings of Moses and all the prophets and how they were fulfilled in Jesus being put to death. But they still didn't get it. Why would they? Here was a rabbi, here was a teacher, here was somebody explaining prophecies, but they couldn't make, still couldn't make the connection because he didn't reveal himself. Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures, and so on. The question I think for us is, in our journey, where he joins with us, Are we foolish and unbelieving? Are we? See, the general approach to life today is that we know best and we don't need God. All that works until disaster strikes or vulnerability is exposed and then we need someone who is greater than us. I don't know whether you've come across something called the Big History Project. Well, you can look at it. It's quite interesting. The bighistoryproject.com you go to. And this is uh, produced by a series of academics. It's very interesting. It's being rolled out for schools. I think it's right to say that Bill Gates had put a lot of money into this because he felt it was a good educational tool. And you've got this online audio-visual presentation of human and technological development. And it starts the introduction screen. I would have reproduced it for this, but I failed to do it. The introductory screen says, a story for everyone. Explore 13.7 billion years of shared history and consider the big questions about our universe, our planet, life and humanity. From the Big Bang to modern day to where we're going in the future, big history covers it all. So we've got this sorted now. 
We've worked this out. And the proposition is this, the idea is this, that human development, see if you can get your head around this, human development is about major thresholds of increasing complexity. Major thresholds of increasing complexity. And these occur, I'll give you an example in a minute, these occur when you have just the right ingredients combined with just the right conditions. So the Industrial Revolution would be one of those, for example. And this, for some reason, that I haven't managed to work out, is known as Goldilocks conditions. When you get the Goldilocks... Have you come across this? But when you get... Somebody's nodding, Paul's nodding for me. When you get the Goldilocks condition, everything is just right, this will happen. So I thought, you know, this is really interesting. So we go to the beginning, and we start with a Big Bang, 13.7 billion years ago. And this is described as the first threshold. But it then says... We don't have the evidence, we don't know, we can only speculate. I'm not making this up, seriously. We don't know, we don't have the evidence, we can only speculate. So great, you know, in our great super-developed wisdom, we eliminate the notion of a creator God who walks with us in favour of an idea for which we don't have the evidence, about which we don't know, and we can only speculate. Is it any wonder that Jesus says, Oh foolish people! Oh, foolish and unbelieving. That is the generation that we live in. And it impinges on us. It might be affecting you really badly this morning as you're listening to me and you're thinking, I don't believe any of that stuff. And it's happening right around. Everybody knows better. Jesus says, quite simply, oh, foolish and unbelieving. And until people get back to believing in something other than nonsense, which that clearly is, that little piece, I'm not talking about the rest of the history, but that little piece clearly is nonsense. You've got no justification. I don't care what you make of creation and how you explain creation, but that sure doesn't convince. And for this couple at this point, Jesus, having explained the scriptures to them, still didn't reveal who he was. Neither did they make the connection. The penny hadn't dropped. So my question there is, Are we in the category this morning of foolish and unbelieving? My fourth and final point is this, that Jesus does not invite himself into their home. I find this one of the most challenging pieces in this whole account because Jesus, the living, resurrected Son of God, was going to move on. He wasn't going to go into their house. He wasn't going to stay with them. He went to move on. If I took that too far, I would be slightly worried about the God who joins our journey and then the God who's prepared to leave our journey. I would go strong on that, but actually there are moments when God actually joins us on our journey. Are there possib- is it possible that there are moments when he leaves us? when he goes to move on. And at that point, the conversation with Jesus comes to an end. His journey with them is over. And here then was a moment of decision for this couple. What's it say? It says, they begged him. I find that interesting. They didn't go, well, if you've got nowhere else to go, you could... You could stay with us, I guess. Did they? 
They begged him. They begged him, stay the night with us since it's late. And it says he went home with them. They chose to invite him into their home. And of course it was only when he was in their home and broke bread that suddenly their eyes were opened and they realised it was Jesus. And with that moment he disappeared. It certainly changed their lives. It says within the hour they were on the journey back. I don't know whether it's seven miles, 20 miles, whatever. I don't know what the road was like. I don't know how light it was or dark it was, but they ran back the way they'd come. They'd come trudging one way and now they ran back the other way. It wasn't exactly a motorway, you know. They didn't have a car. It took some time, but they got back so that before the end of Sunday they were back with the disciples and said, we've seen him. It's true what we have heard. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? See, I think they were probably tired at the end of the day. I don't know. When you're exhausted physically and you're tired and you've been away, especially given what had happened for them where they were emotionally drained after all that had happened, they'd been talking to this stranger. I think I'd probably go, well, cheerio, I want to be under my own roof now. I want to close the door, I want to put on the kettle, I want to wash my feet or whatever it is they did, they didn't drink cups of tea, but the equivalent would be that, wouldn't it? Oh, thank goodness, he's gone. Didn't quite understand all he said, he's gone. Do you know we do that? We can do that with our lives. That is why there are millions of people out there, and possibly some in here, who've done that. We've actually said, that's fine but no further. Have you heard this when you tell people you're a Christian or they find you're a Christian? They go, whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. There's, there's only one answer here. It works for everyone, but only those who are prepared to invite him in who don't close the door to make a cup of tea. It's what Eva <coughs> brought to us earlier. They begged him question for us is, are we going to invite him in or are we going to let him go? So just in conclusion, our life is a journey, but it's not a journey on our own and it doesn't need to be a journey without God. I would far rather be journeying with God than without God. I can't make sense of lots of things. You can't make sense of everything either. But I am so grateful I have a God that I can pray to, that I can talk to, that I can walk with, or who walks with me. We have a God who joins us on our journey, often unexpectedly, but I, do we recognise him? Do you recognise this morning that actually that same God is with you? He's on your journey. He often doesn't reveal himself, he tests our belief in him and his word. And every Sunday morning here, Jamie could not preach you more solidly the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, okay? But you've still got to make the connection. <laughs> we all have to make the connection. If we sit and listen and go, this is just fantastic, isn't he good? And go home and say, wasn't he good this morning? What did he talk about? I have no idea. I'll be honest. I mean, come on, this happens. That's why he gives us a piece of paper to write on, isn't it? 
so that we don't do that. But, you know, you can have all of that and still you can be foolish and unbelieving. So often we fail to invite him into our home, into our lives. At Christmas we're going to celebrate Jesus, whose name is Emmanuel, God with us. And for our couple on that journey, Jesus remained as a stranger with no name, right up to the point when they had their meal and he broke the bread. My question finishing is this, is Jesus still a stranger to you? Have you invited him into your journey? Are you going to let him move on or will you beg him to stay with you? Maybe like the railway passengers who used to get on the Bidford-on-Avon railway station over there, will this be the place this morning where you start your journey? When God spoke to me about this, he he gave me one commission, and that was to ask people this morning to give their lives to Jesus. He didn't give me a commission to teach you about this passage, although I hope that I have. He gave me the questions to ask you in order that this morning, this morning you might start your journey with him. Now this morning we're going to do something in in finishing off. And I'm going to give you four choices, okay? The first choice is a really easy one. You just stay where you are, okay? And I'm really cool with that. I'm really happy with that. I don't, this is not about forcing you to do anything, okay? I'm really happy for you to stay there. But the most important thing I want this morning is if there is anybody here this morning who knows that they haven't got Jesus on their journey and they want Jesus on their journey, I want them to come up. I want them to sit here, probably, on this front row where Sylvia is here. I really think God is calling some people this morning to make that decision I want Jesus on my journey. This Christmas, I want to go into Christmas with Jesus walking beside me, and I want to know it. You don't have to know all the answers to come to Jesus. None of us did. You come to Jesus as foolish and unbelieving people who've now reached out in faith. And to do that this morning, you need to come and sit here, and that is a journey of faith. Now, you will not disappoint me if nobody comes, all right? This is not a pressure on you to do that. I know what God has said to me. I've delivered that to you. It is not my responsibility. But if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, I'm going to encourage you, uh, as we go into worship in a minute, to come and sit on the front here. I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to pray for you. I want to start you on that journey this morning. This is not recommitment. This is the first time you have ever given your life to Jesus. That's your opportunity. The third category is, if you are stirred up by all of that, You've been walking with Jesus for years, but you feel a bit foolish and unbelieving. You want to recommit in some way. I want you to come and stand over in that corner over there. And I want to pray with you, just so that we can encourage one another on our journey. If it's one or two, I'll pray with you, and Sylvia will pray with you, and others may come and pray with you individually. But if not, I'll pray with you as a group, but I just want to encourage you in your journey. And those really are the three categories that I'm really interested in this morning, staying sat, coming here, or going there. But if you have anything else you want prayer for, this is a church that prays for people. We have a ministry team who will pray for you. If you're sick and you want prayer for healing, obviously that doesn't quite work with those categories. Please come up to this side over here. Okay, let's just pray, shall we?
Lord, I want to thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, who we sang about earlier, who comes and who opens our eyes and transforms us from foolish and unbelieving people into people who can experience a walk with Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you that we are entering, I believe, into a time when you want more and more and more people to start that journey. And this morning we invite those people, some of those people, to make a response to this. And Lord, I ask that by your Spirit, just where we're sat or in a moment where we stand, Lord, I pray that you will just stir us to respond to you. Right now, whether you people have heard much or little or something I've not even said, Lord, you are speaking into people's minds and hearts. So, Lord, I pray for that response time now to be a time that is saturated in your Holy Spirit. Nothing to do with manipulation. Nothing to do with pressurising, but everything to do with the Jesus who calls us and the one who joins us on our journey.